Great to see you this morning. Sure appreciate Jay and Reed for the good job that they did in leading us in worship. If you noticed, the song selection was on singing. I read this story several years ago and thought it was very interesting about a man who decided that he wanted to trim his hedges. And he did not have a hedge trimmer on hand, so he thought, I've got a push mower, and if I finagle that just a little bit, then I feel like I could probably trim my hedges with that. And cranked it up and picked up the lawnmower and used it to trim his hedges. And chopped two of his fingers off. And then I heard that he sued the company of the lawnmower for not putting a sticker on the mower that said, hey, don't use this as a hedge trimmer. Now, that, that's tragic, and for many years I have used that as a great illustration of what I'm about to tell you. However, you know, just on a whim, I thought I'm going to look that up to see if that's actually true. I went to Snopes, and that story cannot be verified. So we don't know if that really did happen, but it makes a great point. You know, don't you hate it when the truth gets in the way of a good illustration, but I'm going to use it anyway. If you are designed to do something, and you do something different than what you're designed for, then lots of times it causes a problem. And who knows the best use of something better than the person who designed that thing? Now, of course, you know where we're going with this. When God designed humanity from the very beginning, you would understand that he knows exactly how we need to operate the very best. And when he gives us an instruction, that's because he knows how we need to operate the very best. And there's a verse I think many of you have probably read before, but I think it's so pertinent in this discussion because we read why God tells us to do anything. Sometimes I think we misunderstand God's intent because we feel like he wants us to do this and we wonder in our minds why that's the case. And so look at this verse here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 24. And the Lord commanded us to observe all of these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. And so here's the thesis of this verse. It's very simple to understand. Why does God ever ask you to do anything? It's not because God needs it. It's not because somehow God is deficient in something. And like the old Roman God believers of Zeus, etc., they thought that the number of worshipers and the number of sacrifices made a particular God more powerful. And so if Zeus had more sacrificers to him and more animals were offered and more drink offerings were poured out, then Zeus would be stronger than, say, another one of the gods because he got more stuff. God's not like that. There's no deficiency in God's character. There's nothing that he needs from you to make him feel better about himself, to have any more power to do anything. So if God doesn't need anything from you, why does he ever ask you to do anything? Well, what's this verse tell you? He asks you to do stuff. He asks me to do things for our good always. Now, sometimes we don't understand that. Sometimes we don't know the why of things. I remember when I was in high school and there were some competitions you could do with the FFA and one of them was block laying. You could, you could lay a six block corner at the county block laying tournament and it was pretty exciting. I had never done that and so I thought, well, I'll get into that. I'll give it a shot. And the first lesson was to look at a concrete cement block and figure out the top of it. 
You ever looked at a concrete cement block and tried to figure out the top of it? I had no idea that there was a top, that there was a bottom of a concrete block. And I had been looking at them for years. And then my teacher showed me that one of the sides of the middle of the block is thicker than the other one. Now, why in the world is one of the sides thicker than the other? Well, it just so happens that all concrete blocks are made to have a handle in the middle, and the thicker side is for you to be able to bend down and pick it up one-handed. I didn't know that. That was the why of something that I had never understood, and when someone pointed out, oh, here is why that's the case. There's lots of, there are lots of things that God tells us to do that sometimes we don't get a why. But I think this morning you're going to see one very good reason why God has asked us to do something that we do on a regular basis. Uh, if I were just to go to this particular verse right here, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, 15, uh, incidentally, the name of this sermon, I don't normally give them a name, but this morning it's going to be Sing and Be Happy. And I think you're going to see why this is going to be pertinent for us. Colossians 3, 15, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever shown up on a Sunday and just thought, I don't feel like singing? I don't like to sing? Uh, singing is not something that I do normally during the week very often. I'm not a, a singing person and I just don't understand why God put this into one of the five major acts of worship, and I don't understand why this is something that God wants me to do. I have, and sometimes I've been sitting there thinking, why, why do we have to sing? Now, if you have a child, and that child, you are asking the child to do something that he or she may not want to do. Let's say it's go to school, and the child says, hey, uh, I don't want to go to school today. And you say, well, yeah, we're, we're going to go to school. And the child says, why? Why do I have to go to school? What is your first mode of approach to convince that child to go to school? You're going to start telling the child all of the things that are good about school and that will help that child in his or her life. Now, eventually, if the child doesn't listen, where, where does it ultimately go to? Uh, you're just going. Uh, you know, I'm your parents, you're going. But you start with, hey, this is a great idea for you. And what I'd like to suggest, and I started learning this, I'm going to say just about a year ago, somebody started bringing this to my attention, and I had never considered what you are about to see for 45 years of my life in the Lord's Church, on singing, never thought about any of this stuff. And then somebody said, you know, there's all kinds of research on singing and what singing actually does to a person, does for a person. You ever looked at that? And I said, no, I've never looked at any of that. Well, I'm going to show you some of that this morning, and I think it's actually pretty exciting what singing in a group together by the latest scientific current research does for the group and for you as an individual. Notice what Robert Putnam put in his book, very popular book, Bowling Alone. Here's what he says. Of course, he's a Harvard, Harvard professor, and he says that as you sing in a group, it leads to other kinds of involvement such as volunteer work or political activism. He says, number one, if everybody gets together and they sing how great thou art to God, it makes them want to do something in action form 
to help the cause of what they're singing about. And so if you're singing about uh, send the light, and everybody gets together and they all sing about how we need to send the light, send the light, and spread the word. And when you get done with that, there's something in your psyche and mindset that says, now what are we going to do about it? And expressing that in song together pushes us as a group. Now, notice, this guy is not trying to tell you why God told you to sing. He's saying when people sing about a theme, they then help each other take action in that direction. Now, this, I think, is another example. As Bethany and I were talking, she said, you know, lots of times you, you like to show examples of the inspiration of the Bible, and one of the things that we discuss is scientific foreknowledge. What you're going to see is the scientific foreknowledge of God knowing the psychology of singing and asking us to incorporate that in our worship to Him. Now, continue with uh, I'm, I'm not going to even pretend to pronounce this lady's name. I tried to practice it a few times, but we're just going to let you read it. But she had a very good article on, I think it was five reasons that singing is beneficial to you. And here's what she says. Singing with friends, now notice this, this is not religious in any way. Hers was not at all. Can help strengthen bonds and friendships with those around you. Singing can often be an emotional experience, so sharing this feeling and vulnerability with the people around you can build a connection with him. Now, I don't know if you've been to a, a concert, a music concert. Many of you have. Many of us have. Uh, Beth and I went to one that was the, the last concert. Uh, well, it was the last Fleetwood Mac tour. And we were there at the last Fleetwood Mac tour. We had, you know, seats kind of higher up, and there were a couple younger ladies that were sitting in front of us and they were out kind of on a girl's night you could tell and Stevie Nicks got up and she was singing one of her most famous songs and there were a couple before that that weren't all that famous and you wouldn't have known them but when she cranked into the one that was so well known you should have seen these two girls in front of us they looked at each other like we have just won millions of dollars and their faces got bright and just started belting out this most famous Stevie Nicks song because why? I mean, why is it that you're at a Fleetwood Mac concert and when somebody starts singing the song that you know, you get so excited about that? Well, I think the psychology behind that is that it's such an emotional experience that there's a feeling of vulnerability and when other people join in that with you, you think, okay, this is something, this is exciting. Continue with me. When you sing out, now I, I thought these were interesting. These are just straight, hey, this is just good for you. And there are several of these. When you sing out, your body releases endorf endorphins and increases levels of oxytocin, meaning your mood is lifted and you feel happier. Singing with groups of people or in choirs once again heightens these sensations as well as increases the feeling of bonding and trust. When you sing, your brain literally makes drugs that make you feel happier. Why would God ever ask you to incorporate singing in worship to Him? Because He wants you to be as happy as you can be. Now, of course, we've got Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18. You know several of the verses of singing. 
And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Now notice what God has always incorporated in His instructions for singing. It is a group project that every person is expected to be involved in. Uh, the research, and I might have this particular slide, shows that if you just sit and listen to singing, it doesn't have the same value. It doesn't uh, encourage you to take the same kind of action. It doesn't help you in the same type of health ways. It's different in that being a spectator to singing is not the same as singing. And so, of course, you look at the aspects of this verse, singing to one another, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and ultimately in your heart to the Lord. So as a group project of singing, the benefits of singing in a group. Now, this was a particular interesting report, uh, and it was you know, basically just talking about uh, mental and physical health. And here's what this particular report said, that benefits of group singing include increased levels of social connectedness, increased sense of belonging, physical and emotional benefits, and reduced personal stress. Now, as you look at that, you just ask a simple question. Why does God want us to sing? And lots of times we think, well, you know, I'm not a good singer, or I don't like to sing, or I don't sing under, certain, under normal circumstances, etc. But all God is wanting you to do is have the best possible life you can have as you direct your singing to one another and our singing and sing about the most important theme in your life. And that's what he's trying to do here. This report said increased self-confidence, empowerment. Now notice this is not religiously based. Well-being and interpersonal skills, a general lifting of the spirits and a sense of joy and accomplishment, lowered feelings of social isolation, depression and anxiety, increased social capital through participation in social, cultural and community activities, and denser social and friendship networks. Now, let's stop right there and just unpack this one right here. Lowered feelings of social isolation. As you look at this one and look at the research, here's what it says. When someone comes in here and doesn't know you and doesn't have a social connection to you, but sits down in the pew and sings with you a song that he or she knows and so do you, when all of God's singers get home. Somebody walks in here, they don't know you from, uh, from anybody. They've never been in this congregation. They're feeling out of sorts. They don't know who to sit by. They don't have a regular place in a pew. And they sit down and a song comes up that they know. And they start singing that song and look over and you're singing it too. What does that immediately do for you and that person? Connects you to in a way that says we're all in this together. When all of God's singers get home, and you're one of them, and I'm one of them, and we're singing together, and no longer do they feel like they're out of place. There's a reason why the Diana singing just down the road has several thousands of people come twice a year to do nothing but sing from about 5 in the evening to, you know, they say it cuts off at 12, but if anybody wants to keep singing, they just stay. 
And sometimes they'll stay to one or two in the morning singing. Thousands of people will. And why do they do that? Well, because when you sit down and you're singing songs about the most important thing in your life with other people, you realize this is where I belong. This is exciting. This is what I'm a part of. Continue with me. This was the University of Oxford, Oxford postdoctoral researcher. And here's what he says. We've just published some research that reveals that group singing not only helps forge social bonds, it also does particular, particularly quickly acting as an excellent icebreaker. Now, if God wanted his people to immediately feel like they belonged somewhere, what activity would he put in the worship that would do that? Singing. We've also shown that community singing is effective for bonding large groups, making it an ideal behavior to improve our broader social networks. Okay? Singing has also been shown. Can, you guys can't even come close to reading that, can you? Is it, is it just a little bit? Can you? Good, because I can hardly read it from here, with my, especially with my right eye. I can't read it all. Singing has also been shown to improve our sense of happiness and well-being. Research has found, for example, that people feel more positive after actively singing than they do after passively listening to music or after chatting about positive life events. Improved mood probably in part comes from the release of positive neurochemicals such as endorphins, dopamine, and serotonin. It also is likely to be influenced by changes in our sense of social closeness with others. How, many, how much do you need of this? You could go on and on and on. Now, when you think of Jesus, do you think of him singing? You know, I don't know where you picture Jesus. Lots of times I think of him uh, sitting down maybe on top of the uh, hill preaching the Sermon on the Mount. I think of him walking on water. I think of him doing all kinds of things, turning over the tables. In your mind, when's the last time you, you thought of Jesus singing? And now put some flesh on that. What, what kind of voice do you think he had? I mean, do you think it was operatic? That he was a wonderful, amazing singer? That when he and the 12 apostles got together to sing, he led them in a stirring, uh, whatever number of the greatest psalm? That, is that how you would picture Jesus singing? Do you even picture Jesus singing? Do I even picture Jesus singing? Most of the time I don't. But then when you go to Matthew chapter 26, verse 30, and I think very intentionally, God gives you this verse. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus singing a hymn with his apostles before the trial that he's about to go through in the garden and then his crucifixion. Why? What could help bond that group together in a good way and help them have a mood uplift and help them feel like we're all in this together. Hey, let's sing a song. That'll do it. Now, as you further look at this, a Harvard study in 2015 showed that endorphins released during singing are the same as those that would be released during exercise. Ah, oh, don't want to exercise? Just uh, sing on Sunday morning. I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that's the only reason, but, uh, you know, it's a benefit. Along with feeling happy, singing can also improve the memory and increase concentration. In fact, they looked at this as it related to um, aging, 
type problems with the mind like dementia, etc., and singing was seen to help that in some ways. Uh, improved memory, increased concentration, stress, and anxiety have also been proven to be significantly reduced after singing. Well, just a few more health benefits. Singing involves virtually every muscle group, vibrating the whole system like a tonic message. It increases lung capacity, improves posture, clears the sinuses, and boosts mental alertness by increasing the amount of oxygen in the blood. And for good measure, it exercises the facial muscles, helping to maintain youthful looks. I mean, you want to look younger? Let's sing and be happy. Let's lead that two or three more times. I mean, this is exciting stuff. This really is exciting stuff. Now, do you sing because of the health benefits of singing? I mean, if you go walk into church on a Sunday, to worship on a Sunday morning and say, you know, I didn't feel like exercising yesterday, but I'm going to get my health benefits by singing out. And you sing out. For the express purpose of getting health benefits, will, will that be probably the motivation that we're looking for? No. No, it won't. But you know, there are all kinds of side motivations to doing what God wants you to do. Do you know why God ever asks you to give any money? Because the Bible says it's more blessed to give than receive, and you're happier when you do it. He doesn't need your money. It just so happens that one of the byproducts of putting God first in everything you do, including singing or uh, monetary giving, that is something that makes your life better in every way. What I'm trying to show you is, and you understand, this is, not, this is not groundbreaking stuff. As you're reading this and listening to this, you're like, oh, wow, that's interesting. I, I didn't know some of this stuff. But, but of course, when God asks us to do stuff, it's for our own good. Of course it is. And I just want us to see, well, maybe we didn't know how much good it was for us. So you want to look a little younger? All right. Make sure you do some good singing. Group singing appears to have the potential to reduce pain intensity and pain interference and depression. Now, I want to deal with something very quickly that I feel sometimes is our problem. And I say our problem, me just like yours. It's we have in our minds identified who we are and what we do. And some of us just think, I don't do that. That's not the kind of person I am. That's not part of my personality. I don't see anything wrong with it. I'm glad y'all do it. But I'm just not that kind of person. And I think this concept right here goes to Jesus' discussion in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. And in Jesus' discussion of Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to two verses with me. That's going to be one of them. And then we're going to see at the end of this lesson a very fascinating thing about singing that some of us may have not thought of. But Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, here's what the text says. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now what does the text mean when it says let him deny himself? Here's what I understand that to be saying. There are aspects about who you think you are that you don't want to give up to God. And sometimes they're very simple, like, well, I'm just, I just don't sing. And I think what Jesus is saying here is, okay, if you had a kid who was talking to you and they said, you know, I, I like a lot of stuff, about, but I, I'm just not the school type of person. You know, I know I'm in fifth grade, but I, I just don't go to school. It's just not who I am. 
You know, what would you say to that kid? Number one, you're in charge and you would make sure the kid goes to school. But you need to become one because this is something that will be beneficial to you. This will help you. You need to give up that aspect of your personality that says, I don't do that. Now, I don't know if you've seen the uh, movie Elf, but if you have seen Elf, you understand that the best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. And at the end of that particular movie, there's a scene, and of course you know this is a fictional movie, etc. But there's a scene where everybody is, is trying to get Santa and his sleigh back into the air, but there is a dearth of Christmas spirit, and it doesn't look like it's going to happen. Santa is about to crash into a building because there's not enough Christmas spirit in New York City. So, Elf's girlfriend is repeating that little mantra in her head, and she's not a singer. She's already said, I don't sing in public. On multiple occasions, she said, I do not like my voice. I don't sing in public. That's not something I'm going to do. But she realizes if somebody doesn't do something, Santa is going to crash into a building. So she stands up on this decorative sleigh, and she starts singing, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better work with me on the words. I, I'm not a big Santa Claus is coming to town. That was the, that was the song. Okay, so it gets broadcast. So the, the little hero of the, of the movie, basically, the little brother, gets the TV camera, points it on her, and so all of New York City is singing together. They go through all the, it'll be in a gym, and all of them started singing, and it'll be over at somebody's get-together, and they're all singing. And Walter, the dad, is standing beside his wife, and everybody's singing in New York City, everybody, but the clausometer has not reached what it needs to reach to get over the building. And then the little son looks up at the dad, Walter, and realizes he's just mouthing the words. He's not really singing. Because all through the movie, this guy was not a singer. He was kind of gruff and, and real adultish and one of those people that didn't get involved in this kind of thing. And so the little son says to him, Dad, you're not singing. And it's the, basically the very pinnacle of the movie. If the dad doesn't sing, Santa crashes. And he's got to decide, is he a singer? You know what happens. He chooses not to sing. The sleigh goes right into the building. It's a no, no, that's not what happens. He realizes mouth in the words isn't singing with everybody. So he picks up and he starts singing. Boom, clausometer hits exactly what it needs to hit. Movie ends happily ever after because a person who wasn't a singer chose to become one. Isn't that what we're trying to do here? Okay, maybe you don't have a good voice. Maybe you don't like the way you sound. Guess what? Uh, okay, I got a few more of these. We're not going to belabor the point anymore other than pain, pain management enhances immune system activity lowers blood pressure lowers your pulse rate increases oxygen helps with types of depression lowers stress increases life expectancy get that one but now here's what i love if after reading all of this you're still not sure or think you're just not good enough well that's no excuse According to 2005 study, even if the quality of singing that is produced is mediocre, emotional, social, and cognitive benefits still result, proving that there really is a prize just for taking part. 
If somebody asked me, do you want to lead singing? No. No. Do you want to do announcements or lead singing? Absolutely not. Uh, if I had to pick between the two announcements or singing, sorry, I'm going to be absent next Sunday. That's probably, but you know, that's probably my answer. Uh, I am not a good singer, and I, I don't feel like I am. Most of us don't feel like we are. Some people are great singers, and they they don't feel like they are. Does God care one iota about how good of a singer you are? You know, the Bible always says. That man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. God cannot care any less if you know how to carry a tune, if your singing is pretty, if you are good at singing, if you actually remember the words, or like me, you think you know the whole song and don't feel like you need the aid of the words on the screen. And so multiple times during a song you've been singing for the last 20 years, you sing the wrong words. That, that doesn't matter to God. God simply wants you to be a part of the group effort of praising Him because that's the best thing that you can do to focus your mind and to get involved in what the group is doing in a worship service. That's what God wants from you. That's what He wants from me. Now, here is the verse that, that as I was looking at this, I feel like is interesting and very exciting at the end of this discussion. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. And in Hebrews chapter 2, I think we're going to maybe see something that we haven't seen before as it relates to singing. And we're going to look in verse 11, and there are going to be a few verses that we'll read following this. And here's what the text says. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. I want you to notice the connection that he makes between Jesus and those who Jesus is saving. He says, but both he who sanctifies, Jesus, and those who are being sanctified are all one. Here's what he's saying. Jesus and all the people that he's saving are in the same group. They're all there in the church. Now, what part of the church is Jesus? The head. What part of the church are we? We're the body. But what he's saying is when Jesus saves a person, he puts them in a group and they're all in the group together with him. Well, if you're all in a group together with Jesus, what happens in that discussion? Notice, he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren in the middle of the congregation. I will sing praise to you. Do you hear what that verse is telling you? That when Jesus saves us and puts us in the body, he's not ashamed to say, those are my people. And Jesus does what with his people? Sings in the middle of the congregation with his people to the Father. It is literally a spiritual reality that on a Sunday morning when we as a church are gathered here to sing How Great Thou Art, Jesus Christ, in a spiritual sense, is literally involved in singing with us. And I'll tell you, when I think of the, the voice of Jesus from earth, I don't think of an, an amazing opera-sounding voice. I think of a, a, a gravelly, Galilean carpenter, rough-sounding but very sincere and heartfelt singer 
who is excited to be praising the Father just because that's something that his people and he do together. So let's ask this question. I hope at the end of this, you understand and appreciate, as I did when I looked at this not too many months ago, hey, singing is a great idea. But I think the greater understanding of what's going on here is, hey, if you think you're not a singer, change that and give up that part of who you've told yourself you are because you will be better off in every way. But then take it a step further. Is there something else that I've thought that I'm not, that I just haven't given up for God? And when I say for God, what I mean by that is your God loves you more than anything and every instruction he's ever given you is because he wants what's best for you. Is it the case that maybe you've been listening to lessons about God and you've been listening to lessons about your Savior Jesus Christ, but you've just said, you know what, I'm not, I'm not really the kind of person that just says I'm going to stand up in front of a group and say I'm a sinner and I need God's forgiveness and confess the name of Jesus Christ and be baptized into the death of Jesus to come, come in contact with his blood. I'm just not that kind of person. I feel like I can do Is there something that you need to say I'm giving to God this morning and it's a part of me that I've held on to for a long time but it's something that I need to give up to be an active, healthy, blessed part of his body. Do you need to give something up for God this morning? Maybe it's singing. You need to get in. But maybe it's something else in your life that you know that maybe other people don't that's been holding you back from getting really involved in the Lord's work. Do you need to respond to the Lord's invitation in any way? If you do, I hope you will as we stand and as we sing.